this week's episode of The Money Movement, a conversation that I had with Aaron Wright, who is a preeminent thinker and builder in the crypto space, and in particular has been really forging a path in the development of distributed and decentralized autonomous organizations or DAOs. Aaron has been a thought leader in this space, has built some of the most I think, cutting-edge models for legal DAOs, as well as tooling and and other resources that have become really critical in this movement of building on-chain organizations. The conversation that Aaron and I held was that Circle Forward, Circle's annual all-employee company event, and we had the pleasure of having Aaron join us for a fireside chat to talk about DAOs and the future of corporate forms and organization. I hope you really enjoy this episode as much as we did. Hey, Aaron. How are you, Jeremy? Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited about this conversation with you. By way of introduction, just for everyone here, I've chatted with Aaron in the past. I've been following what he's been working on and writing about and thinking about and doing now for a couple of years, at least more than that. And I've just always found Aaron to be one of the deepest and most thoughtful people on a whole range of topics but has been at the forefront of DAOs for quite some time. And now the intersection of DAOs and NFTs and what's happening with creative culture and value creation and so many things. So it should be a really exciting conversation. But maybe, Aaron, if you just want to take a minute, share a little bit of your, your own history and background for everyone, and then we'll jump further in. Sure, and thanks so much for the kind words. So, hey, everyone, I'm the CEO of Tribute Labs, which is used to be called Open Law. I'm also a law professor at Cardozo Law School. I have a background in law and technology. I did a lot uh, inside the Wikipedia ecosystem uh, about a decade plus ago. Fell deep down the Bitcoin rabbit hole in 2011. Uh, was fortunate enough to play a role to, to help launch Ethereum. I did a lot of the legal structuring related to it. Uh, and then I've had the pleasure of working with a number of great teams like Consensus and Chainlink and a, a whole bunch of others. Uh, also co-authored a book on blockchain law and policy that Harvard University Press published. And as Jeremy noted uh, at the top, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about uh, how we can build DAOs and how we can do that in a responsible way. That is awesome. So like more OG than, than pretty much, I think almost anyone in the room, including me, which is pretty awesome. Let's dive in. I mean, I, I think I'd love to get into some fundamental definitions, or at least your definitions, and given your background in law, you know, definitions are pretty important. But how do you define DAOs today? And then I want to talk about next, how do you define a legal DAO today? Yeah, I mean, the definitions in the blockchain space are difficult. So and we've had lots of defini- definitional issues, whether it's smart contracts, then I think DAOs are a big category, and I think it's going to take some time to find them precisely. I think of them as open source organizations, so organizations that are primarily relying on a smart contract-based system in order to manage a core group of assets and manage participation of the group. That can be human-directed or it can be algorithmically directed in the longer run. So right now, I think we're seeing a category of DAOs, I call them participatory DAOs, uh, that are really relying on smart contract-based systems you know, participatory governance in some sort of way to manage a core treasury. And that's a big deal. And I think why people are are interested in DAOs is that they're really pressing towards this idea of having an organization that's headless, that has leadership that's more fluid and not as well-defined, 
and potentially is a little bit uh, broader in terms of its scope, although there's some regulatory challenges in getting to that size. Uh, and that combination just creates organizations that are more efficient and can potentially operate with a greater degree of agility and also uh, handle the torrent of information that's getting pushed towards you know, groups and individuals and organizations in the digital era. And that that's uh, something that's pretty fascinating. Uh, other folks may lump into DAOs things like Bitcoin and Ethereum. You know, some folks try to categorize those as DAOs. Uh, maybe that's the first glimmers of more kind of algorithmic systems where the algorithm kind of sits in the center and then uh, people perform tasks more at the, the edges. But I think in the long run, we'll see broader categories and broader exploration of those types of systems as well. So hopefully that gives a little bit more no, context. No, I, I think uh, it's really helpful. I mean, it just it's an interesting question. I mean, do you feel like yeah, there's sort of a technological capability that just didn't exist until we had public blockchain networks, right? So that was sort of like a, we needed that infrastructure. To, we needed an economic infrastructure for the internet that could, you know, have immutable data, that could store value and transact value, that could have a mechanism to define participation, ownership, decisions, like all these things that just wasn't possible until basically Ethereum. But like in some ways, the actual organic development of these right now, do you feel like it's in some ways just the organism of the internet just sort of and humanity on the internet just sort of evolving in a natural way? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I think that's absolutely right that, you know, blockchain technology, the ability to move assets around at the speed of a blockchain, the ability to record things like voting and sentiment in a more efficient way. And in the ability to delegate voting or other rights to third parties seamlessly through digital technology, it's a huge efficiency improvement. And now that we have that in place or the building blocks for that in place, we can begin to explore new structures to harness that capability. And those new structures, I think, are going to look a little bit more like the internet. Uh, they're going to look less top-down and hierarchical and more like a swarm of people that are working together towards a common cause. And I think that that's a huge net positive if you look at groups online uh, in Web 1 and Web 2, they mostly congregated, talked about things. Sometimes they would mob or swarm around a particular topic. That could be for you know good purposes. That could be for bad purposes. But what they missed was a digital asset of some sort, some common bank account that they could work together and deploy for productive purposes. Uh, so in my mind, I do think that uh, DAOs are going to reflect kind of this core architecture of blockchains and the core architecture of the internet. Uh, and I think they're going to be a force for good because they're going to enable disparate groups of people, whether they're in the U.S. or Europe or other parts of the globe, to get together and work towards something that's a little bit more productive. I think the shape of that is just going to be different. It's not going to be organizations that are run by a board of directors and you know, CEO or other kind of executive teams. It's going to be a lot more people that are participating in ways that they're interested in participating. It's going to be more fluid, um, and it's probably going to have less top-down control and more bottom-up control, which ideally, and that's the hope and aspiration, will just lead to healthier organizations, right? The stakeholders, the users, these are the types of folks that are going to really be at the center of the organization instead of a smaller executive team that's making all the decisions. I mean, it's this, the, you know, there's sort of decentralization as this, the, obviously, like this meta theme, right? But democratization is sort of another theme. And you know, we've, we've struggled as societies to build democratic corporations. And one, you know, corporations, you know, I, I'm at the top of a hierarchy. I'm the chairman of the board of Circle. I'm the CEO, and I have all these direct reports, very hierarchical. And 
I don't know if people like that or not, but <laughs> they're going to they, they love it. Yeah. But it's been challenging to create corporate forms that are more democratic, that produce things, that produce things, that goods and services, that produce, you know, products and services, or it could, they could produce content. We're seeing, obviously, DAOs forming around investing now, and that syndicate model, and we just had a preeminent syndicate, you know, investment person on um, just before you. But what do you think DAOs are today relative to traditional corporate forms? What do you think they're best at achieving today of delivering? Yeah. So I think it's really three things. I think one is we're seeing DAOs used, particularly in the DeFi space, to manage open source technology that's highly autonomous in nature, right? So smart contract-based systems. So things like Uniswap and a whole bunch of other DeFi protocols, they're really leaning into this idea that their stakeholders, their investors, users, and other participants that are interested in what they're doing should have a say in directing the future of the, that software system. And I think that's a net positive, right? It's more inclusive. It has people that uh, presumably are a little bit more invested, not just monetarily, but also emotionally or uh, technically into a project that can weigh in and hopefully build healthier systems. So if you view something like, like Uniswap, as an example, as being an important core financial infrastructure, having a broad group of people that are able to weigh in and set parameters and right. kind of steer the direction of that is overall healthy. The second category is probably, I'd say, like investment slash collector DAOs. That's what we focused in primarily uh, at Tribute Labs. We have about nine DAOs now. There's about $200 plus million worth of Ether that's been contributed to them. Lots of transactions that are going on there. And the concept there is to get a group of folks together that have skin in the game. They're deploying their own capital, not somebody else's capital. And they're melding a mind together, right? They're combining their networks, all the information that they're processing, and have lightweight tools so that they can make decisions rapidly and quickly. And I think what we're seeing, especially in the crypto space, since it's so hard to parse through information, these types of hive minds, these larger groups of people, uh, work better than right. a GPLP structure, a traditional fund structure. Right. So fund structures are great. There's lots of amazing people that run them. They're constrained by the amount of information they can process, their time, the opportunities. When you have 80, 100, 200, 300 people that all have skin in the game so that they're aligned, that can make decisions rapidly, I think you're going to start to see better decision-making processes. We're beginning to see that in some of the DAOs we put together. The last category, which I think is more nascent, is what I would call like content and media DAOs. So I think we're seeing kind of Hollywood 2.0 emerge where people are using NFTs, creating a common core treasury to kind of manage the future development of media and content, which I think is absolutely fascinating. Last thing, I, I probably should have said four, there's a smaller group of DAOs that are more service-based DAOs. Those are hard. Uh, I think providing services in a you know highly decentralized, not top-down way is possible, but I think there's a lot of challenges to getting there, both tech challenges, governance challenges, and a whole bunch of operational challenges. Yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, in the long run, we'll, we'll probably get there too. Yeah, I want to come back to that, but just kind of coming, staying with some of those themes. I mean, those are, each one of those are massive, right? I mean, Uniswap is obviously like, it's like bigger than Coinbase, right? In terms of liquidity, and it's governed by individuals that own governance tokens and it's you know, developed entirely as open source software and it's operated entirely on the open internet and it's rivaling some of the most successful exchanges ever created. It's just really remarkable. I'm just remarking on that because I'm always just so impressed. That second category, these sort of like the hive mind syndicate model, uh, which you're involved in obviously, and we're seeing sprout up in a lot of ways. 
we were actually talking about a similar theme a little while ago. I'd love to go a little bit deeper on that. You know, how fast do you think that these forms of DAOs, I mean, how fast are they growing right now? Are, are you tracking this? I know there's a lot of sites that track like DAO treasuries and other things, but there's just so much happening. You know, how much capital do you think is going to get formed into these and deployed? And I'm just trying to size this for people a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, we started these investment DAOs about a year and a half ago with Allow. We uh, pool primarily in Ether. So Ether is kind of the base currency that's used. And now there's nine of them. The total amount of Ether that's been contributed to the DAOs that we support, it, it's just eclipsed, I think, $200, $250 million worth of Ether. If you look at across all the DAOs, based on various calculations, it's difficult. It looks like there's about, I think, about $1.5 billion in assets that have been put in DAOs. If you drill down to Ether that's been contributed to DAOs, it's about $600 million. So we have a pretty pretty broad chunk of, of that. They're growing fast, right? So all the DAOs we create are kind of member-directed. So members of our DAOs come up with new ideas for DAOs, and then we kind of deploy capital related to it. The speed with which you can pull these DAOs together is really quick. I'll give you an example. Yesterday, we launched a Metaverse DAO called Neon. That's a $20 million vehicle. It took less than an hour uh, from start to finish to open and, and close. Uh, so the speed with which you can pull together capital on blockchains is not wasn't just limited to token sales and ICOs, but yeah. now you have kind of a structured vehicle to do that really fast. In terms of deploying capital, you know, we processed across the network. I think we backed on um, like more of a venture slash project basis, about 100 projects, acquired over 2,000 NFTs, deployed millions of dollars into DeFi protocols, et cetera. So these things can move really fast with the right structuring. And the nice thing about what we do is we're a lot like Circle. We want to do this the right way in the U.S. So we dot I's and cross T's on the regulatory side and, and place all these DAOs into a, a legal structure, which I think gives people comfort in you know deploying their capital and, and making sure that they can um, hopefully make a, a return as part of that process. That's awesome. I mean, first of all, congratulations, too. It's just amazing what you guys have done. So cool. Let's talk about the legal basis and maybe actually there's, there's sort of two parts to this question. I think it would be interesting for people to hear about the open law project and what that project is. And then secondly, really specifically, what do you think is best in class right now in the United States for having a, a legal form to form? In particular, obviously these investment DAOs, but more broadly as well, because certainly there are, there are DAOs that are, are trying to form that maybe are like the content production examples or others, but what is best in class on the legal side? Yeah, so on the legal side, I think for investment DAOs, uh, a wrapped DAO model makes sense. This was something that started even before Ethereum launched. There was a bunch of events at MIT thinking about all the you know crazy at the time ideas that were percolating out of the Bitcoin and Ethereum ecosystems, including DAOs. And me and a handful of other professors from Washington and Lee, from Harvard, from other, uh, other esteemed institutions began to think about, you know, how can we bring this to the real world, right? We know that crypto is not going to be an island forever. It needs to interact with traditional systems. And the thought was that you could use the very flexible LLC structure in the US as a way to wrap a DAO. So we kind of thought about it at an academic level. Uh, it took some time for the tooling to get put in place. Uh, and then we began to operationalize this with Allow, and some other teams began to operationalize it. A notable example there is Meta Cartel Ventures. And there were some earlier experiments, too, to kind of get this moving. Wyoming just recently passed a bill that kind of validated some of this approach. 
It, it basically uh, enables you to set up a DAO. It's like a subclass of a or subcategory of an LLC, which gives a lot of flexibility in terms of uh, structuring these pooled investment vehicles. I don't think that structure works for everything, for content DAOs and maybe some of these larger open source protocol DeFi DAOs. You probably are going to need another structure. We are working on some structures related to that that we think can work. And I think you'll hear a little bit more about that. Uh, the reason that these structures are best in class, number one, if there is a legal entity, you're able to handle basic things like tax and accounting. You can get a tax ID number. Uh, you can also manage risks related to pooling capital together and working together for a common purpose. Uh, those risks include things like softening obligations related to producer obligations, which are fancy legal words for heightened obligations that you have to other folks that you're working with. Uh, you can waive conflicts of interest if you need to, and you can kind of manage some downside risk, which I think uh, people don't think about until everything goes sideways. And then they think about those types of risks quite a bit. So with a little you know, upfront planning, you can kind of ensure that these projects are, are set up for the long run uh, and our hypothesis and our, our gut, and I feel like this kind of aligns to how you approach things, Jeremy, is by doing it right, but being a little bit more conservative, you actually build longer term value. And we think that that kind of approach is also threaded through with these, this wrap down model. Yeah. I'd actually love for you to share your advice with us a little bit. Like, you know, how can, how can Circle be more involved in this ecosystem? How can Circle be, you know, helping contribute to supporting, you know, legal DAOs? We're doing a little bit of that today, but what do you think the opportunities are for a company like Circle to be, you know, really involved in the ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously USDC is for many folks in the ecosystem an asset of choice uh, outside of Ether. And I don't, I think that there's a huge advantage to having USDC used as one of the base assets for these DAOs. I realize I didn't answer your question about where I think the ecosystem will go. Uh, just looking kind of at our roadmap, I don't think it's unreasonable uh, that there's multiple billions of dollars in these DAOs if we kind of keep up the cadence of growth that we're having by some point next year, uh, which is pretty astounding. And I don't think Ether is going to work for every person that wants to participate in a DAO. So I think an easy logical example there would be USDC and kind of building the, the on-ramps and off-ramps in order to join a DAO, you know, set up an account and handle that. That's something, you know, some of our members have asked for. We like to keep it kind of pure. So we, we started everything with Ether. That's enabled us to work with, you know, some of the larger holders of Ether and some other folks that, that have been deep in the space for a while. But I think that that's going to expand beyond that. I think another area is just uh, thinking about more institutional pools of capital that are looking for either crypto exposure, you know, and or and are looking to play around with digital assets. I think DAOs work really well for that. It creates a structure where they can deploy capital, uh, they can have it managed possibly by a, a broader group and a group that may have better insight into where the market is going. Uh, and that could, over the long run, ensure that there's return on that capital, but also give them comfort so that they don't have to deal with tricky questions related to custody and, and other compliance-related issues. Uh, so I think that that's kind of another area that's important. I think more broadly, and you know, this kind of uh, flows into the seed invest questions. I don't think DAOs are going to be limited to in, you know just investments, but also capital formation. You can imagine uh, lots of really interesting ways to make it more easy for teams and projects to raise capital using a DAO or DAO-like structure. That's something we're also thinking quite a bit about, and I wouldn't be surprised if you see more from us on that front in the you know upcoming quarters. We definitely see that. I think. Um... 
this kind of convergence between crowdfunding and traditional equity models versus, you know, crowdfunding and DAOs and crypto-based models, and they, they clearly are going to converge. And I think what's exciting about that is potentially like the range of, of projects that could get funded that way goes actually well beyond what is, quote unquote, in the crypto ecosystem, right? I mean, it really can be the, the organization that hive mind, the ability of people who are experts and passionate and, has, and have all this, can parse the signal to noise of everything happening on the internet in a, in a domain to more smartly make decisions and, and facilitate participation down to the individual level. It's a huge, it's, it's definitely a huge opportunity. I want to come back to a legal, some legal stuff and, and just ask your thoughts about the global nature of this. And we were talking about some of this yesterday and some of the Q&A, which is, you know, the power of this is like the power of the internet, right? You can, these things can form, you can have participation from basically anyone who can cryptographically prove that they have digital assets or digital tokens, whether it's a fungible or non-fungible token, they can kind of participate and form in these. And the efficiency of that, of an internet native economic, these microeconomic units is like super profound. And it seems like it will just grow and grow and grow. How do you think the global nature of this can work legally. Are we going to see, and we already are seeing, global scale DAOs with global scale participation, but they don't appear to be anchored in any significant legal substance yet. How do you think that evolves? How do you think that gets resolved? Do you think we need uniform law changes in advanced economies around the world? Like, what do you think is necessary and is there a crawl, walk, run on that? Yeah, and we're in the crawl, walk, run stage. We think that that's the right approach. Let's prove this out, show that this is a productive model, and then push for sensible reform and, and other regulatory changes that may be needed. But, you know, the U.S. is amazing for setting up legal entities. Uh, we're pretty much the McDonald's of legal entities. You've got a wide uh, menu. You can pick anything that you want and get it delivered to you super fast. Uh, which is fantastic. And we're in a great position from a regulatory perspective to kind of capture the down market because, because of that flexibility. In most parts of the globe, they assume that there's going to be a manager in charge of a company in the US because we love contracts. We believe in this notion, uh, what legal academics would call private ordering, that people can enter into arrangements uh, privately without government supervision. We are able to accommodate uh, DAOs we can have entities that don't have kind of an express manager, which I think is a, a core, uh, kind of a core thesis with DAOs. The big challenges, I think, are the level of legal formality that's necessary to spin one of these up. Uh, so if a state is going to provide you with, let's say, limitation of liability, uh, which helps people take risk, you know, what do you have to file with the state in order to do that? Today, you have to, you know, prepare a whole bunch of paperwork and shoot that in. In many states, that's still by a fax machine, which is a little bit cumbersome. And hopefully we can see states in the U.S. move towards more advanced systems like APIs or, you know, other yeah. you know, basic uh, computing technology so that you can really set one of these things up from uh, command line, right? Open up yeah. terminal, type in a command like spin up DAO, yeah. uh, Docker compose DAO, and then you're, you're ready to go. So I think we'll, we'll get there. I think the other challenges are, are not surprising. It's tax, right? Uh, it's reasonable if you're making a profit that you should pay tax and you should pay tax in the jurisdiction in which uh, folks reside. But that's, those are challenges that any kind of pooled investment vehicle would face. You know, maybe there's uh, some improvements or enhancements that, that can be done there. I personally think DAOs are great for tax collection because it 
actually mutualizes those costs and expenses. So as we see kind of the U.S. Uh, increasingly uh, want to make sure that people are satisfying their tax obligations, I, I think DAOs may be kind of a piece of that picture or a solution right. I mean, you have, uh, to some of those concerns. You have transparency, auditability, you have you know, the ability to lock things and have time releases on things. I mean, you can programmatically uh, have a you know, more efficient way to handle things like tax obligations. I'm interested as a follow-on to what you just described, which is clearly not as active of an observer of this as you, but it, it seems like there really is like a, a lot of DAOs that are now funding DAO tooling efforts. Like the DAO tooling itself is a really interesting emerging space. Are some of these problems getting solved? I mean, are there, are there teams working on like the DAO tooling problem spaces? Like you can imagine obviously so many different things. But what are some examples of what's emerging in terms of DAO tooling and, and what will make this easier and easier, more SaaS-like uh, in a sense? I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done on the DAO tooling side. There was kind of a first generation of DAO tooling. Some notable examples there were Aragon, DAO Stack. Yep. And they were great. I mean, they, I think they really kind of laid out the vision of what needed to be done. A lot of DAO tooling is really focused on treasury management. So once you've collected and pooled funds, how do you keep that secure? How do you enable disparate groups to kind of manage that? Uh, so that's kind of one broad category. The second one is just how do you deal with sentiment or governance in efficient ways? Over the past year plus, we've just seen a lot of advancements in that realm, particularly with governance. Uh, so Snapshot, which is a wonderful project, enables people to vote if they just have an asset in their wallet, which is just really seamless and simple. Uh, has kind of a web two like experience on the treasury management side and kind of the DAO operations piece. There's just a lot of work that still needs to be done. Uh, we're, but we are seeing kind of next generation DAO tooling emerge. Uh, we're, we just released a whole set of smart contracts. It's called the Tribute DAO framework. It's really great. It's more modular and extensible. So you can basically plug and play into different organizations. We're working to lower the cost of operating these DAOs, particularly on Ethereum, on the gas management side. And I think you'll see over you know, the next year, year and a half, just a lot of smoothing uh, that will occur in the DAO space. And that's when I imagine things will kind of go vertical. And I think that's the big blocker here. It's not really ideas. It's really just technical execution. But I think there's a number of teams, and we're not alone, that, that have a, an idea of how to solve some of these issues. And as we begin to solve these issues, and as we begin to uh, work together to kind of build out a core infrastructure, you basically have an operating system for organizations. And that's really important. And hopefully that's all open source and interoperable. And just imagine a world where every you know legal entity, every corporation could talk to one another because they're kind of on the same stack. Right. I mean, that that's right. amazing. So we, we have programmable money, which is fascinating, but programmable organizations is, is exactly. I imagine, where a lot of value will accrue. That is clearly where the world is headed. Cannot emphasize that enough. <laughs> Me too. I, yeah. yeah, I yeah. think we agree on that one. We're yeah. totally aligned. Which actually leads to an interesting question. So, like, all of this is just—if you actually look at it—it's just completely obvious that this is going to take over the world. But in some ways, uh, I really do. I think you know, eventually, like the best, the biggest car manufacturers are going to be probably DAOs. Like, I, I actually, I, I literally think even into industrial areas, right? Things. This is just going to be a far superior way to organize capital work and conduct and interact and transact economically. And hopefully with some revolutionary changes in the nature of how these organizations operate to the earlier points around democratization and governance and maybe evolving from command and control authoritarian corporations to more democratized corporations, that's a long-term, I think, really interesting opportunity. But I guess the follow-up question is, 
when do you think we will see DAOs that are bigger than internet companies? I guess you could argue some, you already see some of that today in the DeFi protocol space, right? Some of the DeFi protocols are already like bigger than many other companies. So, so one could say we're already there, but in, as we start to go out the curve in terms of the categories of applications of DAOs, you know, into other arenas, we're seeing, you know, gaming and social and other categories that are kind of coming on chain. Axie, right, is arguably one of the fifth largest game, you know, entities in the world, but it's a DAO, right? What do you see happening there in terms of that growth? And, And it's not just because it's all about the bigger things are better, but I think it's just as a reference point for people, people think about oh, you know, whatever, Facebook's worth a trillion dollars, I don't know whatever they're worth, but like these internet companies or PayPal's worth $500 billion or whatever it is, both in terms of scale of product service delivery or capital or, or maybe even more importantly, number of participants. Like we talk about how many employees there are in an organization or how many members there are in a DAO. On all those vectors, what do you think growth looks like? Yeah. So, I mean, I think you could argue that some DAOs are already as large as notable internet companies. They may not be as large as Facebook or kind of the top two or three, but, you know, that took Facebook many years to get there. You know, I know the the cycle to become like a trillion dollar company is going down, but it uh, maybe DAOs are kind of a piece of that, that story. So I think we're there. You know, in my mind, I do think the way I increasingly view this is similar to what we saw in the late 1970s and early 1980s. And the analogy it, you know, history, I think, in many, way, in many ways rhyme. We saw kind of LLC seep out of Wyoming, which they actually did, and it transformed the way Wall Street operated, it transformed the way Silicon Valley operated, it transformed the way uh, Hollywood operated. Right now we have uh, this Dow model that is also seeping out of uh, Wyoming again. And I think we'll see comparable shifts in the way capital is pooled in Wall Street, in the way that investments are made in Silicon Valley, and the way that content is produced in Hollywood. And I imagine out of that, you'll see some very large brands uh, that emerge. And I think that they will start looking like they're just pooled investment vehicles. But since they have a lot more flexibility and agility, they'll start to append on additional services or functionality over time. Uh, so Flamingo Dow, which we pulled together, uh, just to give us a story related to it, we pulled together about $10 million worth of capital. You know, the amount of assets that we have uh, in Flamingo at this point, it's over 500 million if you go by kind of floor pricing in less than a year. And I think you'll start to see more services that are kind of appended on that. So maybe that looks like an NFT bank, which may sound a little bit odd, but maybe the future is not just uh, digital assets, but it's trading ideas, memes, and other kind yeah. of content, which is a possibility, possible state, end state for the world. I think the, there's a limiting factor in the US, and I should have addressed this when you asked the regulatory question about how many members you can have inside of a DAO. If it is for investment purposes and you're being conservative, it really needs to be limited to 99 members until you have clar- clarification on what the interests in the DAOs are. Are they securities or commodities? So until we have some clarity there, I think you're going to struggle to see responsible DAOs that are kind of globally massive, which is unfortunate in my opinion, but just kind of where we are. But I do think that that will come over time, right? We'll get clarity. We'll start to see larger and larger DAOs with not just hundreds or thousands of people, but tens of thousands, millions of people. And I do think that that's when you'll start to see more and more people kind of work for these organizations. The one counter point that I have there is it's unclear whether or not there's like a Dunbar's number to DAOs. Like they can only get so big yeah. uh, before they start to fray a little bit and you need more centralization. I don't think we have full answers to that yeah. yet. 
And it's unclear if we can kind of put in the govern governance apparatuses to kind of accommodate more people. Uh, right. I do think, you know, top-down hierarchical organizations are really great at scale because they can kind of manage a lot of different people and groups in a really efficient way. I, I still think we have a lot of lessons that we need to learn and a lot of pain that we need to go through until we figure that out in the DAO space. But my sense is that we'll, we will figure that out just because yeah. this combination of technology, passion, and people is really unstoppable. Totally. I want to invite uh, questions from folks. So if you have questions, uh, come on up. It looks like we've got a couple here. Jackson, you want to go first? Yeah, uh, Jackson Espeset on the customer success team here at Circle, uh, based out of Iowa. My question to you, Aaron, is kind of going all the way back to the Ethereum white paper in 2013, where Vitalik wasn't necessarily calling these DAOs. He was calling them, you know, DAX, using the, you know, tail term of corporation instead, or calling them DOs, because maybe they weren't autonomous or not all are autonomous. How do you view our use of the term DAO? Is that good branding? And that, you know, kind of back to the tooling topic, there's many aspects, probably communication being the main one, that are still very centralized. And how do you see that being developed? Is DAO more of a Goldilocks term? Is it like an ethos, an ideal, an aspiration? I'm just very curious about the way that you think about that term and how we progress towards it or orient around it. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think we're progressing towards it. I also categorize DAOs, and if I was going to be more precise, many of those participatory DAOs as DOs or you know, decentralized organizations. The automation pieces uh, are coming into focus, right? You can automate the pooling of capital. You can automate the deployment of capital in, in some instances, but there's still a lot of tech work that needs to be done. Uh, to me, this feels like Web1. You know, it, we're at the early stage. There's a lot of work that needs to be done to kind of smooth out the tech. But when you have open source systems and you have actual product requirements that you can begin to distill out from people operating in these structures that, you know, I think technologists will do what they do best, which is solve problems and make things smoother. I think DACs are really a remnant. I think people have a hard time conceptualizing organizations that are not run by leaders. And I think the internet has challenged that in many ways. And we see people organizing without leaders all the time on the internet today. There's just not a productive way to channel that yet. So it's not surprising that Vitalik's kind of thoughts from DAX in the Bitcoin Magazine article to DAOs, which which were referenced in the Ethereum white paper, you know, just uh, it takes some time to kind of conceptualize and, and visualize what that looks like. I just like, I think we couldn't uh, imagine social media, right? And its impacts uh, when it kind of emerged in, in Web2. It just was too hard to imagine uh, some of these things and a bunch of uh, folks still kind of struggle in comprehending what's, uh, what's happening there. Thank you. Got another question here. Hi, uh, Solomon from ERM uh, from New Jersey. Uh, very nice to meet you, uh, Aaron. I'm a big fan of DAOs and your leadership in this area, which I really appreciate. As a you know, recovering lawyer myself, and you'll kind of see why I think I'm an ERM these days, I wonder regarding DAOs, you know, I think investments are kind of the easy case. What happens when uh, DAOs go really wrong and cause outsized damage? You know, you can't really have C Corp if you have outside, if you have international investors. And S Corp is, is too much probably formality for, for a DAO. So you're kind of in LLC land. And like you said, you know, you have limits on members. And if you have these DAOs that are worth billions and billions of dollars, but also cause huge damages, you know, which members do you go after? You don't really know the individuals who are in the DAO because it's, it's crypto and you can't really get to them. You don't really carry insurance unless you have that as, as kind of a requirement. 
so I guess, you know, I worry a little more about the incorp- unincorporated side of things when you have a DAO such as that. But, but what do we do on the, on the you know, major liability side um, with respect to DAOs? Yeah, I completely agree. I think we first saw the, the pain of that with the initial experiment with DAOs and the Ethereum ecosystem, which was the DAO itself. I think most lawyers that looked at it uh, characterized that DAO as a general partnership. General partnerships are the OG of organizations, if, you, if you're not familiar with corporate law, but they come with a lot of downsides. Uh, number one, they have unlimited liability for all the members, and it, it really makes it difficult to operate in them if you're a more sophisticated party. So I think to your question, we're just going to have to live through some pain there. People are going to have to learn the lessons of if you have a general partnership and you hurt somebody, what is that going to mean? That means that you could personally be on the hook for that. And that's why we're pressing uh, so hard with this wrap down model, because I think it, it satisfies some of those questions and concerns. You're able, uh, using the statutory form of an LLC, to limit some of those risks and also through an operating agreement or contract account for some of the risks that you, you flagged in your question. I think that's a good place to start. And hopefully we can press to open that up for more and more people to participate so we can, we can handle some of those more complex ideas and more complex uh, things that people want to do together online. So I don't think we're there yet, but hopefully we can be there. I do think kind of the path that we're pressing on is a sensible one, at least in my mind. Thank you. One more question here. Yeah. Hi, my name's Jason. I'm part of the engineering team. I'm from New Jersey. I guess this goes to both. I'm from New Jersey too, so this oh, is nice. great. I love yeah. this. New Jersey, Jersey in the house. Yes. Jersey All right. in the house, nice, yeah. <laughs> I guess my question is basically, like if you think about Circle's long-term mission, right? It's to bring current like money supply, bring institutions and people into cryptocurrency blockchains, like in the U- within the confines of the U.S. government, right? If you look at Vitalik, he's like really interested in like creating a whole separate entity outside of the governments. I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are on the idea of like this independent entity, like separate from governments versus like our approach, which is working with governments to really bring in the current community. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that, that is what Vitalik's Sorry for uh, yeah, mission. Sorry, correct me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's ever been the case. I think the idea uh, broadly in the Ethereum ecosystem is we need decentralized systems and programmable assets uh, and programmable value to really push the world forward. I think many folks that were around, myself included, it just lived through the pain of a more centralized financial system. I think it's, particularly in the US, it's the wonder, one of the wonders of the world, but it has lots of problems that people you know, do not really grapple with in earnest. And blockchain technology is, is really a fulcrum to kind of press those conversations. You know, digital assets are becoming, uh, you know, quite large, right? Uh, it's like $1.5, $1.7 trillion, and it doesn't seem to, to be stopping. And at some point, you can't build a self-contained unit. You're going to have to grapple with the real world, the meat space. So I think it's always a balance. You know, if the existing world does not bend a little bit or modify some of the rules, it's just going to look exactly the same, and that's not productive. And a lot of the efficiencies that this technology brings is just going to be wrangled out. At the same time, if there's sensible paths forward where you know consumers are being protected, uh, some of the assets are not going into places where we uh, in the U.S. don't think that they should go because they may fund terrorist financing or other bad activity. I just don't see why why the U.S. wouldn't kind of press in that direction. And then I think you you kind of have the best of both worlds, right? You have uh, the ability of people online to express themselves and do things that they want with some reasonable safeguards. If some folks want to opt out of that completely and go pure YOLO and, and complete Wild West, I'm sure there'll be pockets of that. And that that probably is fine too. There's pockets of that today, right? It's not like the 
the current regulatory system captures everybody and is able to kind of uh, stamp out all, all fraud or all bad activity. And I imagine that that's where we'll, we'll go in the future here too. But I do think, you know, in part, like Ethereum has had success because it's pretty pragmatic in its approach uh, across like the core folks that have been building on it. It's to build great tech, but also to build tech that's responsible and, and hopefully, you know, pushes uh, the conversation forward productively. Awesome, Aaron. It's just so nice to talk with you. You obviously like are grounded in, in so much of the fundamental philosophy here and, and what we're all trying to work on. It's, again, just a privilege to have this conversation with you and to, to share your insights with everyone here at Circle. And, and hopefully next year when we do an event, we're going to have tons of people from every facet of life, from every corner of the world um, here, and we'll make sure that you're part of that as well. So thank you again, Aaron, and uh, have a great day. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Bye.